So if you were here last week, we started uh, a new series. We're looking at the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah uh, was raised up by God during uh, an important part of the biblical story, uh, that traumatic period that we call the exile. Uh, It's when God's people are uprooted from the land of promise and taken to a foreign land called Babylon. And God raises up uh, Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece, uh, first of all, to just warn Israel uh, of this exile that is about to come, uh, to also explain to them why the exile is happening, uh, and then finally, to provide its purpose. Uh, So this week, we're going to uh, look at the reason for exile, why God exiles his people. And uh, yeah, God is the one who does this. He's orchestrating it. It's part of his plan Um, And this week, we'll look at why he does this. And next week, we'll look into God's purpose because God has massive purpose uh, behind behind this. So our text today answers the question, why? Why exile? Let's turn our Bibles to Jeremiah 17. We'd like to uh, stand for the reading of God's word. Jeremiah chapter 17. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point. Some of yours reads a diamond point. Where is it inscribed? It's inscribed on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and the Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain in the land, it's God talking here, referring to his mountain, uh, where his house is, where he lives. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all its treasures, I will give away as plunder together with your high places. And here's the reason why exile, because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance that I gave to you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land that you do not know. For you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. And this is what the Lord says. Curse is the person who trusts in themselves, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will see prosperity. They will not see prosperity when it comes and they will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries even in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, I search the heart. I examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Just like a partridge that hatches eggs that did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end, they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning 
is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. It's God's word. You can be seated. So I, I want to start this morning by just getting at the 20,000-foot view. Um, let's start with just Israel and the special call that, that, that's on them. Uh, Israel, uh, as a people, are God's special people. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're a people whom God is jealous for. Uh, they're a people who, who God, uh, at a point in time, got down on a knee and proposed to them. Uh, then God rescued them, and then God took them to a mountain and entered a covenant of marriage with them. And as we just uh, heard from our video this morning from the Blonics, uh, any healthy marriage is, is a partnership. It's a partnership uh, between a husband and a wife, uh, and, and the two people then are on mission together. And so uh, this marriage, this partnership between God and Israel uh, is also on mission, and, and its mission is, is nothing less than to reclaim and to restore a world that God loves. So when you uh, start reading like early on in this book, last week uh, we, we started to get into chapter two a little bit, and at the beginning of chapter two, uh, God is describing himself uh, as this heart-smitten lover uh, who's lost the love of his life to an affair, and it's almost as if God is like just uh, rummaging through all the old pictures. Um, and, and as he's looking at these pictures, he's like, Israel, do you remember when we first met? Do you remember our honeymoon when you followed me around in that desert, when we first got to know each other and how you so loved me? What happened to us? Because something has just significantly happened uh, between God and Israel. And now in chapter 17, uh, God here exposes Israel's sin. And what we need to see here, I mean, this is what God through Jeremiah wants us to see, even the first four verses, is that, uh, that their sin is more than just awful behavior, even though their, their, their behavior is quite awful. Um, their lifestyle is awful. Uh, it's already hinted at, I think, in verse one, verse two, uh, the Asherah or the Asherim, uh, these are places throughout the land that are marked by these uh, grove of trees where, where the goddess Asherah is, is worshipped, and Adarish, uh, Asherah is the health and wealth gospel of that day. Uh, this is the goddess that just promises to take care of you, take care of your life, uh, bring prosperity to your life, and, and, and make you fruitful. In fact, that's what uh, the spreading of these trees or these uh, little grove of trees uh, symbolize. And oftentimes, right in the cluster of these trees, uh, there'd be this uh, big pole. And that pole is called, as we see in our text, an Asherah pole. Uh, the Asherah pole was simply a phallic symbol um, because the way that you would worship uh, this goddess was by indulging in sex with a priest or a priestess. And this is uh, why Jeremiah uh, and a lot of the prophets, they link uh, their idolatry, the worship of other gods also to idolatry, adultery. And it doesn't mean that, that uh, all the worship of this God was, 
was sexual immorality and, and fornication, but it definitely uh, certainly included a lot of that, which is uh, why Jeremiah says uh, in Jeremiah chapter two, long ago you broke off your yoke, you tore off your bonds and you said, I will not worship you. This is Israel talking to God. Instead, what you did is on every high hill and under every spreading tree, that's always uh, the telltale sign of the worship of Asherah. God through Jeremiah says, you laid down as a prostitute. And I was thinking about this week, um, you know, we look at the ancients and we can look at uh, even their, their forms of worship and, and, and think that it were so far removed from that. But I really believe Asher, as I think about this, is alive and well. It's just packaged a little bit differently. I mean, just uh, think about how many, how many lives are just uh, affected, are, are hurt, um, are destroyed through sexual immorality and uh, sexual perversion. I'm not just talking figuratively right now. But here's the deal, as awful as Israel's behavior is, God says your sin is deeper than your behavior. I mean, these first couple verses, God say it, your sin goes all the way down to your heart. He says it's literally written on your heart with an iron tool. With, with a flint point. In fact, those two instruments, the iron tool and the flint point, are the instruments that they would use to write on tablets of stone. And this is God's way of talking about what Israel's heart has become. It has become a heart of stone. And then God gives the imagery of, of two distinct trees. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when, when, when you read these trees, but... I don't think you, you, you can imagine the trees that, that Jeremiah is, is thinking of uh, because these trees come out of his world and not our world. And we learned last week that Jeremiah lives in a small village called Anatote. Anatote is literally two miles outside of Jerusalem, uh, perched right over the Judean desert. So I'll, I'll show you a picture. And if you look closely, at it, this is, uh, if you look all the way up, is Anatote, and Anatote, this is the front yard of Anatote, is one of my favorite places in the world, uh, the Judean desert. I'm gonna be there in a couple of weeks. It's gonna be hot. It's gonna be intense. Uh, it, w w when you step into it, you, you, you immediately feel vulnerable. I've hiked this desert with, with literally hundreds of people. I've heard grown ladies cuss like sailor, sailors out there. Uh, just the ladies, not the men, by the way. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I've actually seen grown men, too, crumple like a deck of cards. It's, it's hot. It's hard. It's intense. It exposes people. And, and I think, too, like, that picture, that desert, too, is a picture of, of our world today. Our world is a dry and barren place. We do life in a place that is, that is hot and intense and difficult, struggle, pain. So much of life is a desert. So in, it's, it's in this desert that these trees that, that are described grow. I know 
might not look like it. Um, but when you're in this hot place and, and the first tree uh, I wanna show you, you, you see this thing and you, you, you get a little bit excited because it grows these fruit-like things that look like an orange or a grapefruit. And so you pick it, you grab it, thinking it might be all juicy in the inside, and then you push into it and it pops, literally, because it's empty. There's nothing inside except for air, a few cobwebs, and what is in it is actually poisonous. In fact, the tree is, is, is called an arar tree, Arar means cursed. It's, it's the same word that's in verse five. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in themselves. Uh, that's Arar. And then keeps reading, uh, who draws strength from your flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like an Arar tree. In the way, a bush in the wasteland is, as it's translated here. They will not see prosperity when it comes, they will dwell in a parched place in the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. This tree is called cursed, or our tree. In fact, the Bedouin who still live in this desert uh, to this day, they, they have a different name for it. They call it Sodom's apple. Um, and the reason they call it Sodom's apple is for two reasons. One, because uh, Sodom was cursed, uh, but also because uh, Lot, 21st, laid eyes on Sodom uh, from a distance, it looked good. But when he got there, what he found out on the inside that place was bankrupt, it was empty, it was poisonous. Our world today, so much of it, places, things, People themselves are that tree right there. Looks so, so good on the outside. They impress us. Sometimes they even seduce us. But when you break it open, when you break them open, on the inside, there's nothing there. It's empty. And what might be there might be poisonous. This is the tree in our text today. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in themselves, who draws strength from your flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. This person will be like an arar tree. They will see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places in the desert and the salt land where no one lives. And I want us to hear what God is saying here. God is saying that this is what we are when we trust ourselves, when we put our confidence, when we put uh, our trust in our, in our talents, uh, in our own strength, in our minds, in the things that we can do, in our image, in our appearance, whatever it might be. I just think uh, how often we hear the word I today, accompanied by uh, like, I did, I, I, I did this, I accomplished that, I got the A, I... I got the raise, I got the promotion, I, I made this life for myself, I, I earned all of this. Did you ever stop and think about who gave us our minds? Who gave us 
any capabilities that we have? Have you ever stopped and just even thought about uh, if you were uh, born as an AIDS orphan in a third world country, what your life would be like today? And so I think we should be asking ourselves, you know, are, are, are we this tree that, that God puts before us? Are, are we like this fruit? Uh, maybe we look really good on the outside. Maybe our lives look really accomplished. But, but if we could just uh, get closer and, and if someone could crack us open, uh, what would be really on the inside? And then you add to this how we just live in a world today that is so obsessed with image and appearance. And I mean, our world right now is, is calling us to become like this tree because our world is this tree. But God describes another tree. This tree he doesn't name, uh, but I still have a good guess as to the tree that, that God has in mind. Uh, it's the most prevalent tree that, that grows in the desert um, in this part of the world. It's, it's an acacia tree. And uh, I, have a, I have a picture of an acacia tree in my office, and uh, there you see it right there. Look at it. <laughs> and if I could get you even closer to it right now, sorry, I should have given you a second picture, but I didn't. Um, but it's not much to look at. Uh, th- th- there's, there's nothing uh, that's beautiful about this, this tree. But again, the Bedouin who still live in this area uh, call this tree their best friend. And the reason for this is because this tree uh, provides so much life to them. Uh, Its its leaves can provide enough nourishment uh, for a whole day for their camels. Um, It can provide some shade from the sun. Uh, The the wood of this tree uh, burns long and hot. Uh, The sap from this tree has healing properties. And here's the thing that this tree is most characterized by, its roots. Its roots go deep. And as you can see, if you look closely, this this tree grows in the dry riverbeds of the desert. And so when you hear stream in your text, uh, that's that's a stream that Jeremiah has in mind. And uh, something very interesting about this tree is that it can lie dormant for up to 10 years. And then all of a sudden, there could be a flash flood uh, sending just this... uh, uh, mini Niagara Falls past that tree and, and, and it, it will instantly resurrect itself. This tree, this tree is strong. It's gritty. And what I love about this whole picture is it's so life-giving and look at the place where it brings life. Right in this desert. What kind of tree are you this morning? I don't think I have to ask anyone what kind of tree we wanna be. But every one of us in this room right now is one of these two trees. What tree are you? What's the biggest difference between these trees? Well, let me start with what they have in common. These trees live in the same environment they're dealing with the exact same circumstances. They both grow in the desert. They both experience the same heat and the same drought. But the difference is simple, yet hugely significant. 
The second tree has roots that go deep. And they go so deep that they find the stream. And in this world, uh, a stream, just like a spring or just like a river or just like rain, uh, that's not just water, okay? Uh, they have a term for this called Mein Chaim. Uh, it's living water. And, and, and living water is, is, is then a metaphor for God. God is living water. In fact, uh, Jeremiah 2, God is already saying, uh, Israel, you've committed two sins. One, you've dug uh, your own cisterns to hold your dead water. But more importantly, you, forsake, fors- uh, you have forsook me, the spring of living water. And God is now saying the same thing in chapter 17, verse 13, where it says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel, and all who forsake you will be put to shame, and those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Why? Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of Maim Kaim, the spring of living water. And see, this is what this, this, this tree has. Uh, this tree has roots. And, and, and just stop and think about what, what roots are to a tree. Uh, the, the part of a tree, actually, that we don't look at, we can't see the roots, and yet uh, the, the roots are everything to a tree. It's the roots that anchor the tree, that, that keep it from falling down, keep it from blowing away. Uh, it's the roots that actually feed the tree. Uh, the roots actually absorb all the nutrients from the soil, uh, and, and especially it's the roots that uh, go deep and find the water, the streams. And so if, if, if in this uh, metaphor, the streams are God, then what are the roots? It's our heart. I have some questions right now. These are questions that I ask myself all week. Where do your roots go right now to drink? Where are you placing your heart? I think these are some pretty important questions. Whether we know this or not, our roots right now will determine who we are. They determine what we're becoming. They're they're, they're determining the kind of legacy that we're going to leave not our image, not our appearance, not the things that we possess. It's our roots. It's our heart. Where are you placing it? And right now, like, like what is your, your heart's trust? What, what, what is your heart's confidence? And we live today at a time where we can, we can sink our roots into so many different things, so many different places. Uh, it could be an achievement, could be a job, it could be the sport you play, it could be your grades, it could be making it into a certain school or a field of work, it could be achieving some great thing. Uh, we can sink our roots to an, into a relationship, it could be a boyfriend, it could be a girlfriend, it could be your kids, it could be your spouse, it could be your need to be liked and needed, uh, it could be your popularity. Uh, we, can, we, we can sink our roots into different forms of pleasure, Everything from social media, video games, buying the next toy, uh, getting the next cool thing, going on the latest vacation, uh, indulging in party, uh, sexual lifestyle. 
I mean, right now, ask yourself, where does your heart go to find joy, to find satisfaction, to find meaning? Where do your roots go to get your sense of worth, your, 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 your sense of security? What are the things that you're drinking from that, that tell you who you are and give you an identity? Or how about when the heat gets turned up in your life? Where do your, where do your roots go then? I mean, verse eight says that the person who is rooted in God does not fear the heat, does not worry even in a year of drought. Worry, anxiety, tell us that we're our trees. I can keep going. Where are you getting your, all of your sense of who you are? What do you turn to? And see, this is why sin is, is, is not just bad behavior. Sin is far deeper than that. Sin is a matter of our hearts. And if you want a simple definition of sin from this, from, from this chapter, sin is when I put my heart, my roots, my trust, my confidence in anything other than God. And I'll tell you what this means about sin. It means that sin is always below the surface. It means sin is oftentimes what people can't see, which means I can be an arar tree as a really bad person, but I can also be an arar tree as a really good person. I can be an arar tree as someone who worships Asherah, I can be in a rar tree as a pastor of a church. Because this text is telling me that sin is not about what people can see. It's what people can't see, it's our heart. There's two characters in the Bible that uh, there's just a lot of time devoted to both of them, King David and King Saul. And I think... Uh, Part of it is just uh, lots of, lots of uh, chapters, but also they're, they're overlapping each other so we can lay them side by side because David and Saul, in my opinion, uh, are these two trees. Uh, Saul's an Arar tree, David is an acacia tree. Uh, but let me just start with Saul a little bit. Um, the more I study uh, the life of Saul, the more I develop deep compassion for Saul because uh, it, for Saul, it all starts with who his dad is. The text tells us that he's the son of Kish, and then it says Kish is a Gabor Hael. And only a few uh, people in the Bible are actually described as a Gabor Hael. Um, I have some idea of, of, of what it means, uh, but on my last Israel trip, I asked uh, my, my Jewish guide, what, what does this clause, Gabor Hael, actually mean? And he said, well, uh, Gabor Hayal is what you would call George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King. Those guys are Gabor uh, Hayals, and then also flavor that with uh, lots of wealth and tons of celebrity. And 
Now you start to apply this to, to, to Saul's dad. His, his, his dad is, is this huge celebrity, this great man. And now add to the fact that the Bible, when it first describes Saul, it says he was very handsome and he was a foot taller than everybody. So when Israel wants a king, a king like the other nations, who do they choose? Well, they choose this kid Saul because that's what they want. They want this tall, handsome son of a celebrity. But here's the problem for Saul. Saul knows himself to be down here. And yet now, he's gone from people seeing him, oh, this tall, handsome son of a celebrity, to now being the king of Israel. And so he has all these expectations from a whole nation to be someone who's up here, and yet Saul knows himself to be someone who's who's way down here, and, and, and it just produces this, this huge gap between what Saul knows himself to be and what everybody expects him to be. And here he is on the outside, tall, handsome, and impressive, but all the while on the inside, he feels small, insecure, and afraid. That's why I feel bad for him. Now, I don't, I don't know who you are, uh, but I, I, I know this. Every single one of us has a gap of what we know ourselves to be and what we're supposed to be or what people expect us to be. And, and, and the question then becomes, then how do we deal with the gap? And there's basically two ways to deal with that gap. You can either spend your whole life trying to fill in that gap or you can just continue to see yourself as a very small person and say, God, you're gonna have to fill in that gap. That's the difference between a rar tree and a acacia tree. And this is the difference between a Saul and a David. And, and even David, like David, you look at his life and he, he, he's, he's every bit the failure as Saul is. He has uh, probably even more deficiencies than, than Saul has. Uh, but, but the difference is that David is actually very secure in being small. Being way, way down here doesn't devastate David the way it devastates Saul, David's comfortable with small. He's comfortable with being perceived as small and he's perfectly fine with his smallness and his small mundane life. And for Saul, on the other hand, this, this gap, it just devastates him. It crushes him. And because he can't accept it, he's gonna do everything Saul can do to fill it. And now do you know what we've just stepped into? Pride. It's pride that says that we can fill this gap. <laughs> it's pride that actually makes us think that we can fill this gap. And this is why the Bible describes pride as the deadliest of sins because pride at the end of the day is a religion of me. It's a religion about me. It's a religion of, of, of self, of myself. And if you wanna know this morning, because only you know truly if you're proud or not proud, um, let me just give you three symptoms of pride. 
These are all flushed out in Saul's life. Uh, first symptom, proud, proud people blame. Uh, proud, they, they have to blame. Um, it, it, it's, it's their way of dealing with this gap. And uh, if you look at the life of Saul, uh, you're gonna see that Saul is constantly either blaming other people or blaming circumstances uh, for all of his deficiencies. And in the end, this only hurts Saul. Proud people have to promote themselves. So I saw, if you read the story, is always building monuments. Uh, he, he, he needs everyone to, to see what he just accomplished, to see what he just achieved. And you ask, well, why does he do this? Well, why do you do it? Why do, why do you blog? Why do you do social media? Why, why do you show the pictures that you show? Um, See, when, 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 when self is the solution to this gap, then we have to prove ourselves uh, to ourselves. We have to prove ourselves to others. Uh, that's why we, 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 we live our life in performance mode where we think everyone is always watching us and we're always on stage and we have this incessant need to always look good. Third symptom, proud people also hide if you look at Saul, he, he hides behind his image. He hides behind his status. He hides behind his position. He even hides behind his armor. If, if, if you read it, the narrative even closer, uh, he hides behind this, these extreme forms of spirituality. Uh, and he has some extreme forms, uh, ecstatic prophetic utterances and casting of lots and divin divination, all these things are, are ways for Saul to hide behind his spirituality because spirituality is a great way for people to hide. It's a great way for people to cover up. And see, all of these symptoms uh, that we see in Saul, the blaming, the self-promotion, the hiding, these are all the things that Saul does. But in my opinion, I think he's totally unaware that he's actually doing them. I don't think Saul is doing the, these things to deceive others. I think he's doing them because he himself is deceived. He's deceived himself. And this is why Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And see, it's, it's pride that causes this self-unawareness and causes Saul to fall into the self-deception. Uh, it, it causes us to start thinking that we're actually maybe up here or even up here when we're really down here. And if you wanna know where this leads, you look at Saul at the end of his life and he uh, completely self uh, deconstructs. He's in a raw tree. And he just blows away. And here's the question then how can the Saul's of the world then uh, become David's? How, how can an Arar tree become an acacia tree? where they're free from the, themselves. They're free from performing, from proving. They're, they're free from taking themselves so doggone seriously. They're free from worry and, and, and the fear of being found out that they're not gonna measure up. They're free to just be small little people living in their small little world, small lives. 
That's freedom. And I think David shows us how because when the Bible first introduces us to David, uh, it tells us that he is the least of eight brothers. Uh, so he's the least. Uh, it also says he's the son of a forgotten. Uh, he's the son of a, of, of, of a father who has forgotten about him, who has forsaken him. And he's doing the lowliest of all professions in that day. He's assigned to it, and that is being a shepherd. See, and it, it, it's in this place of, of, of being the lowest and being the last and, and being small that David, instead of going this route and trying to fill in the gap, his roots go deep into God. And we know this because we have the Psalms. Just read them. I mean, think about all the things that David says in the Psalms from my soul trusts in you, O Lord. You, O God, are my rock and my fortress. You are my strong tower that I run into. You are my refuge and my strength. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. My confidence, O God, is in you. See, David developed deep roots, deep trust. In fact, that first story, he's the littlest guy on the hill. He's the least likely candidate to take on that giant, Goliath. And yet he's the only one who has the confidence to do it. And when you look closely at the story, Saul says, okay, if you're gonna do this, because it gets back to Saul, says, wear my armor. Shows us what Saul trusts in, his armor, his sword. And David, if you listen to the speech that he gives, it's almost like a Braveheart speech as he's, he's making his way to Goliath and about ready to take on this giant as the smallest person on the battlefield. And he says to him, he says, you come against me with sword and spear. That's your confidence. I come against you today in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And on this day, he will deliver me into your hands. I will cut off your head and strike you down. And then it's almost like after saying that to Goliath, he turns around and shouts to Saul and to the Israelite armor. For the battle is not about sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. And he's confident. Not because he sees himself way up here. He sees himself way down here, but he has a big God. Are you Saul or are you David? What kind of tree are you? I think it's so easy for us to just answer that question and say, yeah, of course I trust God. Of course my roots are in him. But functionally, if we look at our lives our trust is really in ourselves, it's in our strength, it's in our resources, it's in our minds, it's in our money. That's why God is so gracious to tell us our problem in verse nine. Our problem is one thing, it's not our circumstances, it's, it's our heart. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. 
And see, until our hearts are actually cured, we will never have a desire for God. And we will live our lives as an arar tree. We, we might look good on the outside. We might even impress a lot of people. But on the inside, we'll become empty and emptier and still yet more empty until we just blow away. And God says in verse 10, I, the Lord... I don't care about your appearance. I don't care about your image. I search your heart. This is what God cares about. And this is what Jeremiah is telling Israel. Your sin is far more than what people can see. It's far more than your behavior. It's your heart. And I love I find this interesting what Jeremiah says. He says, on one hand, the heart is beyond cure. It's, it, it's incurable. But yet this whole thing culminates with him praying, God, you heal me. You heal my heart and it will be healed. Because Jeremiah knows that it's, that it's humanly impossible for us to heal our own hearts. It's, 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 it's humanly impossible for us to even put our roots into God Uh, What needs to happen is we actually need to be uprooted. We need to be replanted. And now what I'm talking about is regeneration. And and only God can do this. We need God, God to just literally to tear us out of, of, of what our roots are going into. This is why exile... This is why God is, he's, he's, he's tearing them up literally out of the land and he's going to replant them so that their roots can go deep into the soil and into the stream. And I will say that process of regeneration, it feels like God is hurting us, but he's healing us because sometimes we need to be hurt to be healed. Could we actually lay aside our pride today? Do you think we could lay aside uh, trusting ourselves? You think we could go to that, that helpless place and just pray, God, God, heal me. Heal me. You know what? You don't have to be great to pray that prayer. In fact, you need to be really small. And God wants us to become small. And God promises to meet us in our small. God loves small. God accepts small. He loves us in our small. The Bible says God opposes the proud, people who think they're up here, and he gives his grace to the small. This morning, if you wanna be healed, it's pretty simple. You confess, you say, God, I'm in a rar tree. Because of all the pride in my heart, I'm not putting my roots into you, I'm not putting my trust, I'm not placing my heart into you. And you not only confess that, but then you repent of it. And you say, God, today I turn to you. And God, I need you to do in me what I could never do for myself. I need you to heal, heal my heart. Regenerate me. 
plant me in you. The spring of living water. Which is why to this day, when Jews repent, they don't just sit in a chair. Because verse 13 of our text, it says, the Lord is the hope of Israel. I don't know why it's translated hope. The word in the Hebrew there is mikvah. <laughs> God is the mikvah. A mikvah is simply a pool of living water. And when Jews return to God, they can't do it without mikvah, without returning to the living water to say, God, wash me, forgive me, heal me. And in in essence, they're saying, God, I put my roots, my life, my heart in you. And Jesus says, if one person would repent this morning, (laughs) there'd be a big party in heaven. So God, I just pray this morning there'd be repentance. God, I just thank you for all the ways that you spoke to my heart this week. Things that you showed me. The places and the ways that I'm still like in a raw tree. God, I just thank you that you are Maim Kaim, that you are living water. And you're always there for us to return, to drink. We pray this morning you give us the grace to do that, that we would do it with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.